ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Introducing your host from New York, here is Sam Roberts. So much to talk about today. So much to talk about. Welcome to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Uh, thank you all for downloading once again. We greatly appreciate it. And uh, uh, I've been watching the numbers. For those of you that are new, welcome. There's always new people coming on board. This is a wrestling podcast by a wrestling fan for wrestling fans. I'm the last professional broadcaster, Sam Roberts. And I still like wrestling. I like WWE. I like what's on television. I enjoy watching it. And this is where we come to celebrate it. We've got a lot. This is the pre-Royal Rumble show, so there's lots of Royal Rumble to talk about, and I've been watching old Rumbles, too. I know I'm not the only but the only person that gets excited. Like, that's just how it plays out, especially as many Rumbles as there has been. I've been going through the playlist on the WWE Network and going through my own personal favorites. It's just such a great match to assess where WWE was at the time. You know, like the 94 Royal Rumble sort of gives you this great picture of what 1993 WWF looked like and what they thought it was going to look like. You know, the 1997 Royal Rumble. You watch that and you think, oh, this is the beginning of this big partnership that WWE is going to have with AAA. And then it never happens. You know, you could look at the, at the, at the 92 Royal Rumble and you can see this shift leaving the era of Hulkamania, I feel like that's that's really the first event where you see Hulkamania is starting to maybe not be. It's still there, but there's they're going to slowly start shifting away from it. And you can see, you know, there are times when things feel lost. There are times when things are so on point, and there are times when things just miss the mark. I just, it's just such a great display. It's, it's, and and to think that all that could come from a battle royal, which generally, in the world of, of sports entertainment anyway, the battle royal is kind of a throwaway match. You know, it's kind of a match just to throw everybody in. If you're a, 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 a wrestling school student, the battle royal might be your first match because, you know, you're not responsible for a lot. Um, and so, and, and lots of people have tried to make the battle royal into something special. World War Three. The, the three-ring WCW 60-man battle royal was always awful. It was terrible. It never got anybody excited. The concept did it at first, but it was always just a terrible match. Nobody remembers their favorite World War Three battle royal. Oh, remember when they transitioned from those two rings into the one? Ah, oh, what, what a moment. What a memory. Takes me right back to high school. No, but everybody remembers the Royal Rumble. Non-wrestling fans, people who, who, who were wrestling fans at any point in their life will go back and watch a Royal Rumble. We'll watch the Royal Rumble live just so they can gamble on it. Well, it's just, it's probably the funnest show and the funnest match of the year. So there's a lot of Royal Rumble to talk about, and we'll get into all that. We'll talk about NXT TakeOver. Um, we'll talk about people's schedules opening up. Outside of WWE, kind of, just in time for the Rumble. A lot to get into with it. Uh, but first, I want to... This week's interview, uh, we're going dipping back into the world of Jim Norton and Sam Roberts. Um, it's it's Charlie Ebersol, 
who is the son of Dick Ebersol, and he hate me. So Charlie Ebersol is actually even more important than I thought he was when I sat down to talk to him at first. Charlie Ebersol, as I said, is the son of Dick Ebersol. Dick Ebersol is not only one of Vince McMahon's kind of lifelong friends and fellow billionaire dude, but he co-executive produced Saturday Night's main event. And to me, I think, was one of the few people from outside of the WWE universe that was able to get in, infiltrate, and actually add a lot to the company. I think a lot of the production value that you see, it started to improve with Saturday Night's main event, with Dick Abersall. I think Dick Abersall understood wrestling and got how to tell stories through that world. And I don't think anybody outside of the sports entertainment world has as well as Dick Ebersol did, and I think that's why he and Vince McMahon got along so well. So I didn't realize this, but the whole time they were doing Saturday Night's main event, the whole time they were working together, Dick Ebersol would bring his son, Charlie, with him. He'd bring him with him to the shows, he'd, he'd, he'd show up with him. It was it was really, and that's the best way to, to learn about this stuff, I think. Um, the most, I guess, the la- I think the last partnership Maybe I'm not 100% sure on that, but I think the last partnership between Dick Ebersol and Vince McMahon was the ill-fated XFL. Now, the XFL, to me, is one of the most intriguing topics in in McMahon, WWE, Titan Sports, whatever you want to say, folklore that there is, just because they really did it. You know what I mean? They really launched a football league in primetime on NBC. That's one of those things that is an idea that never quite pans out. And it really happened. And not only is it, to me, intriguing because it really happened, but because of what a monumental disaster it was. Those stories are incredible to me. The fact that it soared so high in the beginning and fell so low by the end is like is like nothing we've we've really seen before. Charlie is the director of a new 30 for 30 that's coming out on ESPN, a documentary called This Is or This Was the XFL. Uh, and so we had the chance to talk to him. Halfway through the interview, He Hate Me shows up. He Hate Me was one of the most famous players in the XFL, and he was kind of the the number one person to display one of the XFL's key concepts, which was you could add your own nickname to the back of your football jersey. So the back of his jersey read, he hate me, instead of his last name. And it was just so catchy. And he was actually really good. He ended up going to the NFL and playing in a Super Bowl. Uh, in terms of XFL guys, he was great. Um, that it, it, it garnered a lot of attention. Now, the XFL... They would run games on prime time Saturday nights at like 8 o'clock at night. And then they would run Sunday afternoon and evening games. The first XFL game scored ratings uh, that set records for prime time Saturday nights on network TV. I mean, ratings so much higher than the average Raw or SmackDown rating. It's monumental. The next week, but the football was terrible. The next week... It was not as good of a rating, better football, but there was technical difficulties, and the entire 
game got shut down. There was dead air. They were going between two games. It ended late. Like, it was a disaster. By the third week, the ratings plummeted. Plummeted. And by halfway through the season, those Saturday night XFL games had gone from the setting records as the highest rated Saturday primetime show ever to the lowest rated thing on television in history. The least people watched it of anything ever on in that slot. I mean, it's crazy. It's crazy to be able to set both records inside of one season. And that's how long it lasted. They made it to their million-dollar game. But at the end of it, it lasted one season, even though NBC, who, by the way, NBC took 50% ownership of this thing. It lasted the one season, and then NBC said, we can't do this anymore. And they decided to pull the plug on it. Um, you know, I, I, I just think the story is so intriguing. I remember when I was in high school when the XFL popped up, and I'm not a football fan, but I was just so excited to watch Vince McMahon and WWE succeed. I guess I've been a shill from the beginning, but I was pumped for it. And I watched all the games and I recorded them on my VCRs and and, and did the whole bit. Um, but yeah, when I got the opportunity to sit down and talk with uh, Charlie Ebersol and he hate me about, about this movie uh, and just about the XFL in general, I had to take him up on it. Um, and, and, and by the way, I call it a disaster because financially it was, but, and in terms of the brand, the brand is, is the brand XFL is coupled with disaster uh, and, and a flop. But if you look at, and this is Vince McMahon, to me, is one of the great producers of live entertainment on television that there ever, 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 ever was. And if you look at what an NFL game looks like today. Production value-wise, there is so much, so much taken from the XFL. And it's not the camera operators, it's ideas that came from Vince McMahon and his team. From the sky cam, to mics on the field, to cameras getting closer, and it's all the things that Vince McMahon injected into the world of professional wrestling when he was shaping it and turning it into sports entertainment. Modernizing a lot of that and bringing it into football was kind of laughed at in the beginning but it's something that the NFL has completely adopted and I don't think is credited to the XFL nearly often enough so everything you've ever wanted to learn about the XFL well maybe not everything but most of it this week on Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast here's Charlie Ebersole and he hate me from Jim Norton and Sam Roberts on SiriusXM, uh, my show, which airs every morning at 8 a.m. Eastern on XM 103, Sirius 206. Here's the interview. And now, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast interview. Uh, oh, Charlie's here. Okay, so the, we're, we're, uh, we're waiting. His funeral has shut the city down. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah so we're so just we're talking about that. Come on in, man. What do you want? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Charlie Ebersole. Hi, Charlie. Welcome, man. How are you? How are you guys? Good, good. Good. He hate me is on his way. He's stuck in the traffic. In route. Yes. Walking. Running. Oh, is he is he? running. Yeah, we. I had to get out and walk this morning too. I. Uh, yeah. We're live, by the way. Just. A, oh, good. Yeah, don't say Perfect. anything that you don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Want uh, broadcast everywhere. Welcome to the show, man. Good job. Thank you, guys. It was really. Much. It was really good. Did you want? So did they tag you? 
to direct the XFL documentary because of your dad, or is it something you wanted to do? Uh, both. I, when we originally put the film together, um, and ESPN came to me, um, they were of the mindset that my father and Vince would be more honest if I was the one doing it. I hadn't directed a documentary in like 10 years, mm -hmm. so uh, it took me a while to get my head wrapped around it. And then um, when I went to Vince and my father and was like, look, I don't want to make a puff piece. I want to... Like really, I mean, it's really it. crazy that you got Vince. That, at all. Well, that explains yeah. how you got nothing. Vince yeah. and your dad. I was like, how did they get these two? Oh, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, it was insane. I mean, Vince, um, Vince was the bigger sell, and and I ended up going up to Stanford a couple of times and sitting down with him. And I mean, I grew up with these guys because my dad and Vince created this uh, Saturday Night Main event together. Right. So, oh, the I know. First, you know, ten years of my life, Hulk Hogan was my babysitter because he was the last one that would go out on the show. Right. So I'd go in his dressing room during the show and he'd look after me and then I'd go out. So like Vince and my father were like really hugely important figures in my life, which I leaned on heavily and guilting them both into doing the film. What was Vince's first reaction when you approached him? Uh, he hadn't, you know what's funny is Vince is one of those guys who, he's a very successful entrepreneur, so when he put, when something's done, he puts it down and doesn't really think about it again. So his first reaction was like, I don't really remember that much about what happened. And then like I was he like, doesn't remember the yeah. X. It was like you started he blocked a it out. <laughs> he dude. blocked yeah. it out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No. He blocked it out. Uh, so we're talking about raw. The best is in the interview. I'm, I'm telling him. Uh, I was asking about the blimp. Uh, you know, the XFL blimp that <laughs> crashed. <rock>. And uh, <laughs> his reaction's totally genuine. He's like, uh, I go, yeah. You remember the blimp? Because uh, <laughs> I don't remember much except that it crashed. <laughs> that's the only thing you. They remember. did. It was like this great promo thing that they did. To fly over, like, one of the NFL Playoff state. game. Yeah, playoff game. Yeah. And the blimp crashed. <laughs> yeah, it crashed into San Francisco Over Bay. an NFL playoff game, yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. yeah. But, the Oakland, it was an Oakland game, and it crashed into San Francisco But Bay. it ended up being great publicity, for better or worse, because then everybody talked about the blimp, right? What did it crash into? A hot dog stand? <laughs> a seafood <laughs> restaurant. seafood restaurant. Yeah, it got, it got hooked on a sailboat. <laughs> so, so what finally sold Vince? We, well, I would imagine you're, for you, your dad must have been not the hardest sell in the world because you're my dad kid. they neither would do it unless the other did um gotcha. which was hugely important and the thing is what sold them ultimately both of them was i said look i'm interested in talking about the xfl because i think that people think of it as this grand failure and yet you can't watch a professional sporting event without seeing the remnants of the xfl but more importantly i know you two as this great uh, bromance of these two guys who for 30 years were best friends and sort of like this love story unexpected given their backgrounds and I wanted to tell that story. I really wanted to tell what it was like for the two of them to become friends and then what it, because they're so different. And it also kind of explains like the fact that they had that kind of relationship explains how NBC ended up being a 50 50 owner of this kind of crazy idea because that's not happening unless a guy who's as powerful as your dad is, you know, best friends with Vince. Well, the thing, here's the thing that I, well, I don't get into this in the film, but it's it's sort of a through line of my father's career is that the the business deal underneath that no one really paid attention to is always the biggest part of the deal. So like the Olympic deals um, in Sydney and, and China and all these other things that people are like, they spent a billion dollars. And I was like, yeah, but General Electric built a ton of power plants in China because of the Olympic deal. NBC, which was owned by GE at the time we go in. The same with this XFL. Yeah, they own 50% of the league, but they also bought 30% of WWE in stock. So as right. part of the deal, 
NBC, who is now WWE's single biggest partner with USA Network and all these other things, had this massive investment, and they were able to get this massive investment right when WWE went public. Right. And so when people talk about, oh, they lost $37 million, I'm like, yeah, they did. They made about $300 million in, down the line yeah. in terms of stock. But, yeah, they lost a little bit of money on the football deal. Would season two have That's been really a complete bust? I always oh thought, like, why, I'm just like, why not just give I it agree. I totally a second agree. year? Because a lot of things fall apart. And if you buy season two, if you had better football, it very well may have caught on. I mean, the first year, yeah, it did tank and it went low. But by the second year, you never, a second year may have happened. Five of the eight cities sold out every game. So, like, the live event really? portion, yeah. F- the, here's the thing. People think about the Chicago Stadium and the L.A. Stadium and the New York Stadium, which they count as a sold out because they closed the upper bowl. Mm-hmm. But you're talking about an average you're, an average stadium of, like, twenty five to 27,000 people going. That's way above the MLS. Right. Now, but- and, so, and you think about controlled cost. The whole business plan of the XFL was not that they were successful in primetime. The, the whole idea of the XFL is as long as you were successful in day part on Sunday and you were selling out the games, it would work. I just think, you know, the first game was such a disaster that it was very hard to recover the audience after that. Did your dad, because the fact is they did walk away after season one. And, and, and by was, the way, the TV range were historically low. Well, no, no, no. But yes, you're absolutely right. For the Saturday primetime, it, it went from the highest rated Saturday programming on the first night in 15 years to the lowest ever. Right. However, the Sunday programming was the highest Sunday day programming of any cable channel during the period. So the thing is, is that... My, it's ironic because when my dad uh, and Lauren created Saturday Night Live, they called it the Not Ready for Primetime Players. Sure. And I, my original title for the XFL was the Not Ready for Primetime <laughs> Players because that's what they were. They just this was this football was better than Arena League, but nowhere near the NFL. But it was it was in the lush primetime eight o'clock spot. But your father got Vince to kind of only do a season one when contractually. He was obligated for season two, and that to me is the friendship because uh, he got Vince McMahon to basically go, yeah, you're right. Um, season two is not probably the smartest financial move, but he didn't have Vince didn't have to do that. So there's a there's a story that's also um, uh, not in the film, but it's my favorite story about my dad and Vince. So my dad and Vince meet. They decide to do Saturday Night Main Event six weeks in. I'm sorry, two weeks in, the lawyers can't come together on a deal and all this arguing. And Vince calls my dad and says, this is stupid. We should get rid of the lawyers and we should just do this contract. And uh, 11 years later, my dad walks out to the mailbox. He's no longer with the WWE, et cetera. And he gets handed a check. There's a check in his mailbox for a lot of money. And it's from Vince. And he calls Vince and says, what is this? And Vince says, oh, well, we uh, sold the video rights in Indonesia and that's your cut. And my dad said, uh, but we don't, that's not in our contract. And Vince says, we don't have a contract. We have a handshake. And that's how their business relationship was for right. 30 years. So when the XFL wasn't working, I think my dad's one of the few people in the world who could go to Vince and say, look, this isn't working. And he believed him and trusted him and said, okay, you're right. The pre-show didn't get a lot of praise. The uh, Opie and Anthony pre-show. Um, <laughs> Bob, in Orlando. Yeah. Bob Costas got... No, I mean, somebody mentioned it, but you Bob, guys... Bob talks about it. Yeah, yeah, there was really no mention of Opie and Anthony, but I was kind of hoping they would talk about those guys. Because I remember that was when I first started going on their show, and that was a big... Thing was the NFL. They were huge. XFL pre-show. They were doing. Uh, people don't realize that the promotional machine around the XFL. I compare it to like the launch of the first iPhone. It was so like the level yeah. of interest was disproportionate to anything that it ever. That's what to me. It's like one of those. I, going back to what you said before about like remnants of the XFL. I was kind of getting frustrated watching 
the move at the end of it, the feeling that I had was this feeling of like, I know, because I'm a big wrestling fan, like that Vince McMahon is one of the great TV content producers of all time. Of all time. And there's like all this genius in the XFL. And it's like if Vince would just concentrate on the part where he is a genius, it could be something super successful. But he's such a big picture thinker that he has to do everything. And that's where stuff starts to fall apart. I feel like. Well, yeah. they were, they were, weren't they surprised that he got involved? Like on the on the ground, they were shocked that he actually. Oh, showed... they, nobody knew when he, <laughs> the most famous moment of the XFL is him walking out and going, "This is the XFL, right?" The XFL. No one knew he was going to do that except that him, my dad, and the director, all right. the talent, everyone else, have been said like, "Oh yeah, no, Vince is, you know, he's." He's on the outside. He's well, that's a... also like wrestling because Vince is used to running his business where you don't tell everybody everything that's going on. The people that need to know, know, and you make decisions at the last minute, and then you just go and do it. I, I fell down the uh, YouTube rat hole of videos about The Rock. I'm a big WWF fan, so I'm, and I'm mm-hmm. a big fan of The Rock. And uh, I fell down this rat hole, and I was watching. He did some interview about his first wrestling match ever, mm-hmm. and he's talking about how, like, thirty minutes before the match, he does not know who's supposed to win the match <laughs> or not. Right. And it's the first time he's ever been on television. It's that's you know representative of. I remember. Do you... But that, and that's why that's one of the things that makes him. I think if you could take that right and succeed in that environment, then it's almost like when you get outside and go into Hollywood and stuff that they might feel like they're kind of last minute and fly by the seat of their pants. But something like The Rock is like, this is nothing. The oh, fact yeah. that I have two days notice. I love when people me? are surprised that WWE guys are good at live comedy. Right. Like, wow, John Cena really figured out Saturday Night Live. I'm like, he does Saturday Night Live every night. He yeah. does it three nights a week on live television. They're comfortable. They can all improv. Bob Costas made a great point, too. He said the XFL might have worked if they had come at it from a more humble point of view. Like, if Vincent said, look, this is, we're trying this and we really hope you like it. Like, that might have gotten people on board a little bit. And that's not well, that's Vince. That's the thing about Vince but it might have humility. Worked, <laughs> but, but it still might have worked better, though. But if, for, in a business sense, it might have actually worked think, a little bit better. Here's the thing. I, I think that their greatest undoing was also the thing that they felt they needed the most, which was prime time. Because here's the thing is, their business plan wasn't built for prime time. Remember, Vince created the thing six weeks before NBC got involved, and it was when NBC got involved that could only justify the financials. Oh, shit. He hate me is in the building. <laughs> this is, this he is really, hate me. This is really why I did the film, so that I could hang out with you. Could hang out with that was me. really the only thing I cared about. <laughs> is that crazy? Like, we talk about the XFL, and the, the point of the movie is that it's like one of these. Not, I mean, the point of the movie, I guess, in a larger scale, is the impact that it had. But really, the reason why it's a movie is because it was a colossal failure. And well, no, I yes, mean, that, I that's, agree. The, that's I, what's drawing people into it. Yeah, but here's the thing nobody ever remembers the single car crash at NASCAR, they right. remember the 32 car pileup. But by the way, I just want to because Rod's now here. The one thing that is abundantly clear is there are only two players that you really remember from the XFL, which is He Hate Me mm-hmm. and Tommy Maddox, who both went on to play in Super Bowls and right. were both legit ballers, right? And so, like. My thing was, if you'd loaded up the XFL with people like Rod, <laughs> then you wouldn't be having the conversation that we were having. Why do you think the XFL is talked about so much in the USFL? People know it existed, but people don't talk about it like they do the XFL. The XFL changed... Every, here's the thing. The XFL changed everything about how, t- how football was presented. Right, like all of a sudden you have this, you have the sky cam, you have the steady cam, you have all this. You Mics got, on the field. You got players with personality. I mean, all of that stuff was 
and and I think that what my father probably more than any other person other than maybe David Hill at Fox, two people who understood more than anybody that football was the most television-friendly sport there was. It stops every 15 seconds. There's plenty of time to talk, but there's a lot of action and violence. So if you could give people more access, more understanding, and Vince understood storytelling, you bring those two things together and you've got something really meaningful. And and USFL didn't do that. USFL was just a bunch of billionaires who wanted to be in the NFL and couldn't buy their way in. So they created a game that was fun to be in the stadium but was garbage television. And and let's be honest, like Vince McMahon and P.T. Barnum are the two greatest promoters literally of all time. So when you got Vince McMahon promoting something— it's you're gonna talk about it. And Vince you know what I mean? is a, and, it's gonna... and, and Vince is a real billionaire with real talent, as opposed to the USFL, which was loaded up with people like Donald Trump, who are neither of those things. So, like, you have this this dichotomy that when you have two great storytellers building something, that's what happens. What team did you play uh, in the Super Bowl with? Uh, the Panthers. What, what, what was what was bigger to you, getting to the Super Bowl <laughs> or the idea of getting to the million dollar game? Your headphones working? Oh, there you go. There we go. There we go. I'm live. I'm live. <laughs> yeah. Uh, which was bigger? Yeah. Because million dollar game is million dollars. I mean, that's, they that's, almost they well, didn't quite sell it out. Well, <laughs> not, to, not, not quite. Honest, they were close though. <laughs> honestly, to me, uh, the Super Bowl by far. Yeah, uh, I would imagine. More so because I wasn't in the million dollar game. <laughs> right. I didn't right. get a piece of that pie. Um, but uh, definitely the Super Bowl. Are you surprised that like you did make it to the Super Bowl and like you had this NFL career and the XFL lasted one season? And there is still, like, people don't want to call you Rod. People want to call you He Hate Me. Hey, I'm the creator, so hey. You like that? If it it allows them to sleep well at night, hey, I love it. I did love in the movie that you, like, included him explaining what He Hate Me means. Well, there's a great story. He Hate Me. He Hate Me. (laughs) That that fan, uh, Chemish, the guy who does that, is legitimately, he was raised Mormon. He'd never been to any form of professional sporting event before, and the first event he went to was the XFL Outlaws <laughs> game, and he was, like, three seats away from a, a cheerleader position where they'd nice. come into the crowd and dance, and so, like, a cheerleader danced, like, six feet from his and, Mormon father. like, the cheerleaders father. were basically lap dancing. Like, the cheerleaders were, oh, like, it was not NFL cheerleaders. And you guys were encouraged to date them. Did you date me? Uh, no, it was, it was too much other stuff in Vegas for me. <laughs> oh, like yeah. what? Like beautiful women. Oh, the, the girls, okay. <laughs> so you didn't want to fuck one of the cheerleaders, you figured? Uh, no, that's, that's too close to... Were the players kind of all going after the same ones? Uh, I'm not sure. Like I say, I was head over heels in Vegas, so, you know, it was my first time in Las Vegas. Uh, young, uh, had money, single. Hey, can't beat that. <laughs> Did you sleep with a lot of different girls when you were there? Uh, you know what? I can't remember. <laughs> 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 memory's foggy in that yeah. period of your life, huh? That's re- I would imagine if the answer was no, the memory would be a little yeah, bit clearer. Yeah. You know um, why I remember Vegas? Yeah, because I've struck out every time I've gone there. I remember <laughs> quite zero, clearly. I, one girl I met in Vegas in 15 years of working there. It's terrible. Yeah, it's bad. It's really a bad average. It's not your city. N- not no. my experience. No, you've been. No. You've done okay in Vegas. No, no, I'm just saying this. Oh, no, yeah, it's just a little different. Um, so when he hate me becomes like the standout in terms of character, because we all know Vince McMahon is about characters. When he hate me becomes the standout character in the XFL, does he take an interest in you? Like, do you have conversations with him? Is he, does he want to brand this character? Yeah, um, you know, actually, um, we we had some talks uh, at the time it was going on, and I didn't know it was going to blow up the way it did, but uh, it was a lot of fun, and uh, I got to thank him for allowing me 
to be me in that league. And uh, it was uh, it was a fun league, great league, um, stepping stone, of course, for me to get to the next level. And um, did he want to bring you into WWE at any point? Uh, I don't know about that, but uh, <laughs> he maybe had thoughts. Uh, I bet he did. I mean, after closes after one season, but people still remember he hate me. That's a guy. Who, well, I'm they're assuming. still selling jerseys. Exactly. I, I bought a jersey online like a couple of days ago. I, <laughs> did you? Yeah, for real. The the thing that I will say, my favorite uh, Rod story is uh, the day before the game, they said uh, we can't use your nickname, and he was like, "What do you mean?" They're like, "Well, we think it's a gang, like a gang name or something like that. We can't use it," and so. This is why I love Rod. Rod goes, well, I need to talk to Vince. <laughs> and they're like, uh, go have uh, your shot. He's over there. And he, like, ran on the field and, like, made his case. And Vince, like, fell in love with him. And was of course. Like, Done. Yeah. <laughs> what were you doing before you played for them? Uh, let me see. Before that, I was actually back at Western Kentucky uh, training. Uh, I had just got let go from the uh, the Chargers. I was out there with uh, Jim Harbaugh. And I played for his dad in college, Jack Harbaugh, at Western. So, uh that's that connection, uh, but uh, at least you were playing. Though a lot of guys weren't even playing yeah. football. Right, yeah, I, was, I was playing. They were I was they playing. were working like day I was jobs. Fresh, I was actually fresh out of college. I graduated uh, spring two thousand. Went to the Chargers. Uh, got cut around training camp. Uh, went back to school. Was training, and that's when XFL started. They started the draft and whatnot during that fall session, and uh, you know, of course, it started in the spring. Did you know you were getting cut? Like, how do they tell you you're done? Wow, you know what? This, no lie. <laughs> and it was funny, you know, um, I always heard that thing with football, you know, hey, uh, well, we can't keep you because it's a numbers thing. The fuck does that mean? <laughs> a numbers thing? What is that? We don't want to pay and, you anymore. So my thing was, um, the Dalian Tomlinson wasn't even there yet. You know, he was a, a, a junior, senior, wherever he was at TCU, still at TCU. So they had no backs, no outstanding backs anyway. And, uh, you know, the guy I was competing against was a guy by the name of Ronnie Jenkins. We were kind of the same old, you know, speedsters, smaller speedster guys. And uh, But they had no go-to running back. So when uh, the coach brought me in and told me that, uh, Mike Riley, I think, was the head coach at the time with the Chargers. And uh, he brought me in his office and met with me and, and told me that. I was kind of like, what the hell does that mean? And he had—he really had no explanation. He but, said the numbers. You know, that's part of the business. Yeah. Oh, it's a numbers thing. We got so many guys here and there. And that. What? You we, have no running backs. What is that? Yeah. <laughs> were you, were yeah, you shocked? For the no running back uh, <laughs> offense. You were shocked then. Well, I mean, I was young. I was a rookie. I came from a small school. Uh, we ran the option, so I put all that, all those things in consideration, and I was like, oh, okay, maybe you know, I'm not fit for this system or something, but. Uh, you know, after that, when I saw my opportunity in XFL and, and the guys I was competing against, I was like, man, I should have a chance anywhere, you know, because I'm a hard worker and I'm a competitor. You know, uh, if I compete against anyone, if I get beat, we're going to keep competing until I win. You know, so that's just my competitive edge. What goes on in your mind when you find out that there's not going to be a season two? That there's one season of the XFL and we're done? Oh, man. Uh, it hurt, you know, because that was a fun league. You know, it was a lot of freedom, a lot of fun. Uh, money, 
Uh, yeah. So, you know, you want to always get paid for something you love doing. Did you worry about injuries? Because they were saying, I mean, part of the problem with the XFL was in the rules. Like, the rules were crafted a certain way so there was more action, but people got injured all the time. That's football. It is what it is. Yeah. But on, like, the scramble, they, they they were losing people on the scram- the before opening the, scramble the for possession. <laughs> like, that's an unnecessary loss just to see who gets the, the one. The what? one thing I do love about the XFL that confused, still confused. I asked my dad and Vince about it. In fact, I asked my dad about it, like, a couple nights ago. I was like, I still don't really understand this. The principle is we're going to make it tougher, rougher, smash mouth is his big word, right? But it's also built for television, so we're going to score a lot of touchdowns. And, like, you can't unprotect the quarterback and allow the receivers to get the shit beaten out of them on the field and expect them to score more touchdowns. It is antithetical in thought, but... Did anyone get hurt really badly? The no-fair-catch thing, to me, seems like such a dangerous... Except no-fair-catch... Here's the thing about no-fair-catch. No fair catch was a complete misnomer because what the marketing group thought that meant was no halo. You know, like we're mm-hmm. not going to protect the guys five yards. But the real reason there's no fair catch is because they wanted the punt to be live. Mm-hmm. So like the minute someone like the, the pooch kick that Tom Brady does all the time, they wanted them to do that to advance the ball, sort of like rugby. But in the marketing, they were like, oh, it means there's no halo. So the guys are going to get murdered. The thing that was super dangerous that that is the part we don't talk about is. There was no helmet to helmet. There were no rules about helmet to helmet. Mm-hmm. So you look at the hits on the receivers. Like we would look at hits, and it was like, especially knowing what we know now about concussions. Right. Like, people were just <clears throat> spearing people across the middle because, uh, um, oh God, what's his name? The former Chicago Bear, who is the head of um, Mike Ditka. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> William Refrigerator Perry. I'll, I'll go with Ditka. No. Um, okay. Their whole principle was we want to hit like we hit in the 70s. And then you mm. look at these hits, and these guys are getting lit up helmet to helmet. Yeah. yeah, it was very, the 70s were, I mean, there's been very few paralysis. In, I mean, you look at Daryl Stingley and a few other guys, but it hasn't happened that often considering how brutally they hit for so long. Oh, it's ridiculous. Do you have any? Con- oh, sorry, do you have any concussion problems or no? Uh, I can't remember. <laughs> <laughs> I'm pretty sure I'm married to one of them. <laughs> what was it like as a kid when, when this is all happening? How old are you when, when the XFL is I'm happening? a senior in high school. Okay. So I was there. I was at the, million, I was at the first Vegas game. Is your dad uh, pissed by the end of it? Like, he's like, what the fuck happened with this thing? No, no, no. Halftime in the first game. He was... Yeah, he is. My dad has a horrible pay- poker face if you're <laughs> if you're close to him. And I was... And he was just like... Halftime in the first game, he was like, this bad. Because here's the thing. Outside of Rod, who was running all over people like mm-hmm. it, was a, it was... It looked like a professional football player was running against a high school team. I mean, he was just cutting them up. Outside of Rod, like, everyone else on the field, for the most part, just like... It was bad. New York New York had 19 yards of total offense in the game. I mean, that's insanity. Right, yeah, that's right? not a great number. No, no, no it I mean, isn't. Like, it could be better. <laughs> um, what was sad, though, is the other game, the Orlando game, was an amazing game. It that was one 34, drove me 37. crazy watching mm-hmm. that. Just seeing that's the one that went off the air. Oh, no, that was LA week two. Oh, that was oh, week two. Oh. I'm saying week one. They oh, had, the B the, game, you mean. The B game yes. was an incredible game. And, you know. Yeah. You, it was good go for Rod because he he gets on the field and he looks like <laughs> just you know, tore everyone it's like up. A, it's, it's like a Space Jam out there. But, yeah. you know. <laughs> Do you think they made a mistake making the? Uh, they had a pretty good announcer. I forget his name. It was it Marty? Matt or, Matt, Matt. And then all of a sudden they put him on the B game because they thought he wasn't over the top. Matt enough. they. But Vince. I, 
Vince, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but I, did, I think that was probably, a, a, that probably hurt the legitimacy of it for people who were real football fans and wanted to watch it to have a guy who really knew football. Well, to put it. in good old JR and Jerry the King Lawler and Jesse that Ventura? Not the right a, uh, I loved it. There's an expression in comedy called putting, well, you know, putting a hat on a hat. Like if you have a great joke and then you're like, hold on, I got one more funny thing I can right. add to this and you lose the audience. The XFL was sort of like that. It was like, we're building a tank, but it has wings, and it has a rocket launcher. Oh, and by the way, do we mention it as a flamethrower? And it makes snow cones. And you're like, why does it make snow cones? <laughs> we don't need that. That was sort of like, by the time you got to the <laughs> announcers and the governor of Minnesota is the color man, <laughs> like, you're kind of like... All right, we may have, like, at certain point in time, not just jumped the shark, but also nuked the fridge and about seven other things. Right, right, right. Did you Too see much. Vince pissed as it was happening, or was he just trying to make it work? Since it well, was here's the thing. They, they weren't pissed about it. I mean, my dad was upset because it wasn't working. Right. Vince... Vince is used to things not working and just right. working through it. You right. know what I mean? Like, he would have gone four seasons just because... You know, he knows an audience. He can get his audience, and he'll just keep adjusting. He listens to the audience better than anyone. Vince Plus he was... doesn't like to admit that something's failed. No, 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 no. I totally disagree with that. I think, I think probably nobody admits failure faster, but he also just drops it faster. Like, I, whenever people talk about Eli Manning and they're like, he's not elite, I'm like, I, he's elite in my mind because he goes back out on the field after throwing an interception, and you can tell he doesn't remember that he threw the interception. He just moves on. That's Vince. Next thing. Gotcha. Vince was pissed during the XFL because the execution was so jacked up. Right. And that's where he was like, I have a really good production team. So NBC must have an amazing production team. And the marriage of the two really wasn't, like, seamless. It wasn't yeah. seamless. What, what do you think that one thing where the game did go off the air in L.A., which they explained why it happened, do you think that was somebody from Vince's team or somebody from uh, NBC's team who fucked that up? Off, I mean, I, I think it was somebody from an outside party. Oh, neither one. Do, I mean, here's the thing, right? I don't think there's any way it was somebody from Vince's team. No I don't think, I know. or NBC. Here's right. the thing. Just, you're in... It's a little bizarre, right? The NFL wants to bring a team to L.A. at the time. They end up doing it now, but they wanted to bring a team at the time in the stadium that the XFL is playing in. And not one, but two generators are bone dry with no gas, and the trucks are unplugged from the wall, which is the part we don't get into in the film because I really didn't want to go into, like, conspiracy theory. Right, right, right. But, like, these are really, really professional guys in the media capital of the universe. They're in Los sure. Angeles, yeah. and they don't fill up two generators, and they unplug from the wall, like, so all the trucks go dead at the Sabotage, same time. maybe, yeah. It's like, it's look, I'm not, between the blimp crashing and that thing happening and other, like, weird, like, things left, right, it just becomes, like, really, don't... You do get conspiratorial. It's hard not to. Yeah. It's hard Vince not to. Vince and my father won't go anywhere near that. They will not touch it. No, they won't. No. So I, I was sitting, after we screened it at the WWE, I was with uh, Triple H, mm -hmm. and he and I were like, I mean, <laughs> right. somebody's going around, right? He's like, yeah, definitely. <laughs> like, All right, cool. As long as that's... We have to... Travis is saying we have to wrap up. Wrap up and move yeah, on. I guess you guys have other stuff. Well, well, before you go... It said on the internet... Did you date Britney Spears? Did you, you really? Did. Nice. Oh, awesome. What, yeah. is, what, what is it like for women in your life to come in knowing that that was somebody that you dated before? You know uh, what I mean? Like, for, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, I feel like if I knew that the girl I was dating dated some dude that everybody loved, it would I would be uh, 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 insecure about that. Uh I don't. I can't. I don't know that I can answer that question. I don't know the answer to that question. I. Here's the thing: is I. Uh, I find that the 
people that I tend to date mm-hmm. um, are people that are enormously successful in their own right. Like Britney's obviously incredibly famous and incredibly talented and all this other stuff. But I, the type of woman that I find myself dating is always someone who's enormously um, self-secure and sort of successful in their own right. And so, I, like, the girl that I'm I'm dating now who's incredible, I, I, like, she's not a pop singer, so she's not comparing herself to Britney Spears. Right. You know what I mean? Like, it's right. not... They're wildly... Uh, they're wildly different in that. I, I find, um, and I think this is entirely because of my mother, um, my mom was this, when my mom and dad got married, my mom was more successful than my dad. And my mom, 10 years in, was like, climbed to the top of the mountain, didn't want to do anything else. She was on the most successful TV show in America at the time, retired and never looked back. Who's your mom? Sorry. Susan St. James. Oh. And so my view of <laughs> my view of women was, oh, this is what a woman is supposed to be. It's supposed to be someone who is incredibly secure and incredibly successful and who has their stuff together. And so I've been lucky. I mean, uh, I've been very lucky in terms of that. I think that I was like that. That was the image of women. That right. Was we date very different women. Every woman you I date, dated, Brittany. No, I've never dated women at the top of their field. <laughs> it's typically women who hate their own guts or in their first thirty days of recovery. <laughs> <laughs> that's why. I, by the way, that's why I said you and I have different Vegas experiences. <laughs> when yeah. I was in Vegas, it was a very different uh, lady. Well, everybody, uh, uh, you definitely should watch this thirty for thirty. It's February. It's really great. Yeah, it is great. Thank you very Premieres much. February second at nine p.m. On ESPN, it's called "This Was the XFL." I'm absolutely fascinated by all things XFL. I have, I believe, it's at my parents' house, but I have every game on VHS because there's a big oh, wrestling where the tape. Hell, trader. were you like six months ago when I was yeah, cutting dude. this shit together? I have all the games we're on like, VHS tapes. We're like looking everywhere. Were they hard, were they hard to find? Well, the, w- Told w- you. the WWE has everything, but like, there's the commercials that ran during the game aren't there, and the, commercial the commercials during that period are. Insane because ninety percent of the ads were internet companies that like don't exist anymore, and they would do them about the XFL. So like, it, anyway, I want to go back now and watch my tapes. Oh, you have them. That's find right. The commercials. Yeah. The commercials. Insane. That's great. Insane. That's great. Well, thanks guys uh, for being here. Make sure you watch the movie February second on ESPN. Here is Sam Roberts. Charlie Ebersol is such a fascinating guy. I could talk to that guy for hours, and just being in the room with he hate me is fun. He's the XFL legend. The XFL legend. So, yeah, I, I, you can tweet me at NotSam or, or Instagram, Facebook. It's all at NotSam. Any sort of questions or discussions about the XFL. Uh, I just thought, you know, I, to me, any wrestling fan I would think would find this topic fascinating. Because to any WWE fan, anyway, Vince McMahon is one of the most interesting people on the planet. So you want to hear about him and what he does and, and the XFL. It's, it's just such an interesting thing, and I would recommend checking out that 30 for 30 when it premieres on ESPN. And when it does, I would recommend wearing a Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast t-shirt, which you can get at prowrestlingtees.com slash samroberts. You know, I just released a new t-shirt this week. It's the Not Sam 8-Bit. It looks like the cover of a, of a Nintendo game. And it's my face, and it says Haps on it, and it says The Last Professional Broadcaster, and it's a great, great shirt. I tweeted out a picture of it and sent it out on Instagram and Facebook. You can also get the brand new Boo the Bad Guys t-shirt. It's a whole new version. Old one is gone. The new one is black, and it's on like a heather gray t-shirt. Looks really, really nice. 
uh, of course, you can also get the Not Sam Mode t-shirt, the Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast logo t-shirt, everything. It's all available at ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. Buy a shirt, wear it to a show. You know, Elimination Chamber is in a couple weeks. WrestleMania is coming up soon. I think there's a Raw pay-per-view before then, plus TV every week. You want to wear it to a show, ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. Um, before we get into State of Wrestling and all things Royal Rumble, uh, which, by the way, I have to tell you, we'll probably talk, I have something planned for next week's episode of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast that I think is going to be a lot of Royal Rumble review, but I'm going to do it with a fun guest that's been on the show before that I think you guys uh, uh, all very much enjoy and find hilarious. So that's what I have planned for next week, and I think next week we'll get into a lot more Royal Rumble history, but I was watching the 2008 Royal Rumble this week. Uh, That's the one from Madison Square Garden where John Cena made a surprise return. And the last three in that match, where it's Batista, John Cena, and Triple H, looking at it, it's just this moment. The final three in that match. First, it's such a good Rumble match. It is so underrated. Undertaker's number one. Shawn Michaels is number two. It's got the fun old-school moment with Superfly and Piper. Uh, John Cena makes a surprise return. Here comes Triple H. Like it's it's it, Batista's in it. Hornswoggle's in it, going nuts. It's really a fun, and it's it feels like Madison Square Garden. They're using the old school Madison Square Garden entrance, not the big stage, like that old little area that that you could see from hard cam. So it looks different. It feels like Madison Square Garden. It's just such a fun match, and the the final three in that 2008 Royal Rumble is like untouchably cool. So check that out before this Sunday. Um, You're probably planning on making some snacks or something for the Royal Rumble. Maybe you want to impress somebody with some of the the food that you can get. Well, what if I told you that you could get seafood that is sourced sustainably under standards developed in partnership with the Monterey Bay Aquarium Seafood Watch? What if I told you you could get humanely raised beef free-range chicken, naturally raised pork. Well, I think you know what I'm talking about. Blue Apron. Blue Apron ships the exact amount of each ingredient required for each recipe that they have, so they reduce food waste. You're doing something good for the planet, and you're creating a meal that anybody who sees you create it is going to be super impressed by. They send you all the ingredients you need. They send you the instructions, whether it's your girl whether it's your dude, whether it's your friends that are all coming over for the Rumble, order a bunch of meals. Make everybody a gourmet meal that is good for the environment that, and, and taste taste what it's like to actually have fresh ingredients in a dish. You'll be amazed and your, your, your viewing experience for the Royal Rumble will be even better. Uh, you know, they say... Cooking together builds strong family bonds. That works the same way with friends. If you're going to cook with your friends, research actually shows that Blue Apron families cook nearly three times more often because it's an option and 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 because it's affordable. It's amazing food that's affordable and fresh and good for you. You can get uh, uh, you can get pork chops with scallion rice rice and spinach. You can get mushroom mushroom and chipotle pepper enchiladas. With lime sour cream, you can get spicy shrimp and Korean rice cakes with cabbage and fior cake, whatever that is. The point is, it's good for you, and they're available this month 
in January. Here's what I want you to do. Check out this week's menu and you can get your first three meals for free with free shipping by going to blueapron.com slash roberts. You go to blueapron.com slash roberts, you're going to be able to try everything that Blue Apron has to offer and you're going to be able to do it for free. It's on me. I'm feeding you now. You're going to love how good it feels and tastes to create incredible home-cooked meals with Blue Apron. So don't wait. Go to blueapron.com slash roberts. Get your first three meals free with free shipping. That's blueapron.com slash roberts. Blue Apron, it's a better way to cook. And better is better, after all. Let's get into the state of wrestling, shall we? It's now time for this week's State of Wrestling. Welcome, folks. It's State of Wrestling time. Uh, right before I recorded this, I was actually live on Facebook over at facebook.com slash notsam. I might do that a little more regularly, actually. Just jump on right before I record State of Wrestling just to warm up the wrestling conversation with some of you guys. So if it's something you want to be involved in, make sure you're following me on Facebook. There's a lot to talk about this week, mainly Royal Rumble stuff. So last week, I got into my thoughts and theories about how the Royal Rumble needs to be a showcase of everything WWE is. At one point, WWE was a show. You know what WWE means. You watch the WWE superstars on Raw and SmackDown. You watch WWE superstars on pay-per-view, whatever it is. WWE means something different now. There are Raw superstars. There are SmackDown superstars. There are NXT superstars. There are superstars involved in the Cruiserweight division on 205 Live. There are superstars involved in the UK tournament. There are superstars that are legends that are not on either any of the rosters. There's six different sets, and they're all under this banner that is called WWE now. And to me, the Royal Rumble, as I said before at the beginning of the podcast... It's this like showcase of where WWE is and where they think they're going. And I think that the Royal Rumble needs to be a showcase match of everything that that larger brand means right now. Like, think about it this way. If it's fast food, WWE is not KFC. WWE is Yum Brands, which means... That in the Yum Brands Royal Rumble, you gotta have KFC, you gotta have Pizza Hut, you gotta have Taco Bell, you gotta have the Pizza Hut combination Pizza Hut and Taco Bell. You gotta have it all, and all combined together just to showcase everything. That means there's chalupas fighting breadsticks with popcorn chickens flying off the top rope. Everywhere you look, there's large drinks. Everywhere you look, you got a a a. a uh, a chicken little slipping on a quesadilla. I mean, it's wild. It's madness. That's what the Royal Rumble is all about, except for people, not fast food items. That's what we need to see showcased in the Royal Rumble. And I was talking last week with Katie about how I would like nothing more than to see Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate show up in the Royal Rumble. Because as a WWE fan... I'm watching that UK tournament with very with no expectations. You know, I didn't know the people that were involved in that tournament. I was unfamiliar with most of their work. So to see them pop up and and or or, or to to see them for the first time and be as intrigued with them as I was and to become as big of a fan as I have 
of especially those two, especially Pete Dunne. Those are the guys that I want to see pop up and be like, hey, let's get some eyes on these guys. You know, whether maybe you didn't watch the UK tournament, a lot of people didn't. You know, it's it's niche programming. It's niche programming even for wrestling fans. But the Royal Rumble is going to be something that everybody's watching. So let's get those eyes on these guys that were there for it. And it's like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it. Who are these guys? Oh, the UK tournament? Oh, let me check out this UK tournament on demand. Oh, there is more value. Plus, it's a message to everybody. People will subscribe to the WWE Network just for the Royal Rumble. A lot of people. So, if the Royal Rumble is a place where you can find out that there is the UK tournament on demand, there's 205 Live, there's NXT, there's all these shows, if all of a sudden you're watching the Royal Rumble and you see a guy that you don't know and you start to like him, well, where can I see more of this guy? Well, right here on the network. Okay, well, let me let me keep subscribing to this thing. Let me pay up the $9.99. Let me not let this slip through the cracks. Now, the exciting thing is, after I said that last week, a couple of days ago, it came out on all the uh, all the dirt sheet news websites that Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate, because I was getting tweets from people, at not Sam, that said, well, Sam... Pete Dunne and Tyler Bate aren't going to be in the Royal Rumble. They bo- they're like, they, I think they're going to be a little busy that weekend. And sent me links to these wrestling shows that I guess are very big in the UK that I just didn't know were as big a deal as they are. But they were both booked on shows that weekend in the UK. And a couple of days ago, it came out that those weekend bookings have been canceled. That Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne uh, and one or two other UK tournament competitors pulled out of their uh, bookings. Now, that can mean a lot of things. Maybe Pete Dunne shows up at TakeOver and he's going to join the NXT roster, which I think would be... I, I think Pete Dunne is a guy who could join NXT or 205 Live and just add a huge element of star power. I wouldn't necessarily put him on Raw or SmackDown yet just because there's so much going on on both those brands, but I think he could move into 205 Live or NXT and immediately become an A-plus player. And I think even if they don't, I think both Tyler Bate and Pete Dunne just showing up in the Rumble match would be great for them. But maybe he's not going to be in the Rumble match. Maybe Pete Dunne is just going to show up and be at NXT. Maybe he's going to interfere in one of the matches there. There's a lot of different possibilities. But the fact that the weekend has been made clear for both those guys is very, very exciting to me. And it also makes me feel like, you know, it's another example of old... See, there's one of two things going on. Either I am a WWE Nostradamus, or there are some some people in the WWE that are, are maybe listening to the wrestling podcast and being like, huh, he's right, maybe we should do that. And if the second one is true, guys, reach out to me, because here's what I'll do. I'll stop saying my ideas on the podcast and I'll start giving them to you, right? I'll make up new ideas for the podcast. Don't worry, guys. What they'll probably end up doing if that were to happen is I'd go over there. I'd start giving them all the ideas I would have given on the podcast and then they'll still just listen to the podcast and take the new ones that I give you. So it doesn't really matter. But still, send me up to Stanford. Let me start giving you guys uh, face-to-face. I'll give you the ideas. They're free. I give them to you. I don't care. I just want to see cool stuff happen on WWE programming. Speaking of cool stuff, Kurt Angle also, from what I read, canceled his weekend gigs 
for this weekend, meaning Kurt Angle's schedule is free for the Royal Rumble. I think Kurt Angle would be, he's not going to win, obviously, but I think he'd be an awesome addition in the Royal Rumble. Um, and, and I'm all for it. Even though there's as much star power as there already is, I still think Kurt Angle would add to it. I still think everybody would freak out. I mean, they will, regardless of how Kurt Angle comes back, hearing those horns, people will spaz out immediately upon hearing it. So I don't, I don't think there's any wrong way to do it, to tell you the truth. I do think Kurt Angle has a little bit left in the tank. I think that I wouldn't be surprised if he popped up for a WrestleMania match. Uh, if he doesn't pop up for a WrestleMania match, then I'm assuming we'll see him pop up for SummerSlam or Survivor Series. But I do think that we'll see more from Kurt Angle, and I think it'd be cool. Some people don't think that there's already enough star power in this Royal Rumble match, and that Kurt Angle just adds to it and it would be a waste, but I don't think so. I don't think it would be a waste at all. I think you'd still get that reaction. I think it would be like, the purpose of it would be to let the world know Kurt Angle is still able to wrestle. You know, it's not like the Royal Rumble would be his return. The Royal, wrestling in the Royal Rumble match would give us all this like moment of, oh my God, oh my God. And at the same time, would allow us all to know, okay, yep, he's coming back for a match. Which, you know, I think is exciting. And then it gets us all talking like, okay, we saw Kurt Angle in the Royal Rumble. When's he coming back for a singles match? Who is he going to be wrestling? Is it going to be at WrestleMania? You know what I mean? Like that conversation starts. So I'm I'm all for it. Now, there's a few, and they've only announced 22 people in this Rumble. And they haven't announced anyone from NXT or 205 Live or the UK tournament. Um, they haven't announced any legends outside of like uh, Goldberg. Maybe you could say The Undertaker. You could argue Brock Lesnar too. Um... But they are, and they're also saying that apparently Finn Balor is getting tested now to see if he's in tip-top shape. Now, look, part of the reason why this stuff gets leaked is sometimes on purpose. Like, they might just want people talking about the fact that Finn Balor could be at this thing at the Alamo Dome on Sunday. And, you know, and not only that, but now uh, uh, everybody's saying that Kenny Omega is a possibility. From what I've read, Kenny Omega's contract with New Japan does not end until January 31st. And I still kind of feel like he will end up staying in Japan for a little bit and just get that big, like, oh my God, I thought he wasn't coming back and show up in the, in, at, a, at a New Japan show and just shock the world that way because everybody kind of thinks that he's coming to WWE. But, you know, I also wouldn't be surprised if the cleaner, even with all this going on, if the cleaner shows up for the Royal Rumble. The... This has the potential to be one of the more exciting Royal Rumble matches in a long time. There are so many different ways it could go. I mean, think about it. Even thinking about WrestleMania, you know, you could say, okay, you know, and and I'm assuming they're going to put it on last, but the problem with putting it on last is that it becomes like the foregone conclusion which is one of my favorite bands, um, it becomes this thing that, like, like, it becomes easier to predict, meaning, let's say John Cena beats AJ Styles earlier in the evening. 
Well, then you start looking like, okay, this probably means The Undertaker's winning the Royal Rumble. Let's say Kevin Owens retains the title from Roman Reigns. Okay, this probably means Chris Jericho is winning the Royal Rumble. That could happen. Now, let's say uh, Roman Reigns beats Kevin Owens. Okay, well, now you've opened up a world of possibilities. Theoretically, Chris Jericho could still win. Theoretically, somebody from SmackDown could still win, and they'll figure out Raw later. Theoretically, Goldberg could win, and my scenario, which I love, which is Goldberg versus Roman Reigns, could happen. Or Samoa Joe could make a surprise, because I I do think that Samoa Joe will be in the Royal Rumble. Maybe Samoa Joe is going to win, and he gets to go to WrestleMania to face Roman Reigns. Or something else could happen or or you know you know what's the most intriguing thing to me is theoretically and this is amazing that this year and this is a situation where this could happen and if played out in the right way and i have no reason to think it won't be played out in the right way if played out in the right way it won't get booed out of the building and people won't leave upset theoretically you could have aj styles beating john cena And if that were to happen, what about this? What if AJ Styles were to beat John Cena? What if your final four, what if AJ Styles beats John Cena and Kevin Owens beats Roman Reigns and your final four in the Royal Rumble are The Miz, The Undertaker, Chris Jericho and and I don't know who and Dean Ambrose or and Finn Balor Finn Balor is one of the final four okay you could be looking at a scenario where people start going over the top rope if those are the final four I eliminate Chris Jericho first because that's the favorite oh Chris Jericho is winning this what he's eliminated And then you could have a scenario where you're narrowed down to a Finn Balor versus The Miz final two in the Royal Rumble, okay? And if that were to happen, then you either you have this this thing where look, I'm going to be happy if Finn Balor wins this match, but at the same time, oh my God, The Miz might win the Royal Rumble, and whether he wins or not, because I don't I don't think The Miz is going to win the Royal Rumble. But I think there's a good possibility that if AJ Styles, this is what I, I would love to see happen. I would love to see AJ Styles beat John Cena, as he tends to do. And I would love to see The Miz be eliminated last. I would love to see Miz be the last person to get eliminated from the Royal Rumble by a Raw guy. Maybe it's Finn Balor. Maybe it's Goldberg. What if it's The Miz and Goldberg as the final two in the Royal Rumble? Because then The Miz can go to SmackDown and complain that, look, he was the SmackDown superstar that lasted the longest. He should get the title match because in AJ Styles versus Miz, I would quite frankly rather see John Cena versus The Undertaker for no title and AJ Styles versus The Miz for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania. That is the way, to me, you move people forward. If you have a Miz versus AJ Styles WWE Championship match at WrestleMania, then the Miz finally gets that moment. He can finally get that title match that 
he's got in theory from WrestleMania 27, but now it's this thing where it it's true. You know what I mean? He's not just a guy who's there while this John Cena rock thing gets played out. He's a guy who has is as like like AJ Styles and The Miz to me are the two guys that have worked their asses off and had arguably the two best years that anybody's had this year in WWE. That is a match that I want to see for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania. And it can open the show or it can... It's probably not going to close the show. It can open the show. You can put it wherever. But that, to me, is the match. And quite frankly... (laughs) Quite frankly, I want to see The Miz beat AJ Styles for the WWE Championship at WrestleMania. I want to see The Miz win a WrestleMania match clean against AJ Styles. After AJ has beaten John Cena three times, I want to see The Miz beat AJ Styles clean. Or he doesn't even have to beat him clean. He can do it with Maurice's help. But I want to see The Miz pin AJ Styles at WrestleMania and win the WWE Championship. That's what I want to see. That's what I want to see. So sue me. This is what I want to see coming out of the Royal Rumble. And the and the Miz can be eliminated by Goldberg because I want to see... Or unless Kevin Owens is one. I want to see Roman Reigns beat Kevin Owens because I want to see Chris Jericho versus Kevin Owens for the U.S. Championship. And I want to see Roman Reigns versus Goldberg for the Universal Championship. And I want to see, maybe you have a, a you know, a, here's what I would love to see in the, in the Royal Rumble. Everybody thinks that this, this problem is going to develop between Goldberg and Brock Lesnar. What if Brock Lesnar comes out at 15? Goldberg comes out at 25. But Samoa Joe comes in at 20 and eliminates Brock. What if Brock Lesnar and Goldberg don't even touch at the Royal Rumble? Because Samoa Joe eliminated Brock Lesnar before Goldberg even showed up. What if that were to happen? What if we have that as a setup for a Samoa Joe-Brock Lesnar-WrestleMania match? Can you imagine that? Can you imagine that? There's a lot that can happen this year at the Royal Rumble. You know? We could, or we could go predictable. We could have The Undertaker win and he wrestles John Cena for the title and blah, blah, blah. There's a lot of ways you can go. And I'll be happy with predictable, quite frankly. It's going to be tough to screw it up. It's possible. They've done it before. But it's going to be tough to screw up a sh- show like this this year. I really think so. Um, I think John Cena is doing some of the best work of his career the same way Chris Jericho is. John Cena is having a moment like that right now. The way John Cena is coming in and owning his spot as the top dog, like no more, because there's no more arguing. Like, you know, it was either an argument. It was John Cena, Randy Orton, Batista. Like it was this generational thing where John Cena was the guy, but there's also Randy Orton. Now it's like, no, John Cena is ahead of the pack there. It's not like The Rock's around. It's not like this guy's around. And by the way, if The Rock came back, then it's not like John Cena has to prove anything to The Rock anymore. John Cena is the guy, and he is the top dog, and he's claiming his spot, and I love it. It's not humble. It's there's no uh, the there there's so much less humility, and so much more. Look, dude, I'm the man around here. Don't forget, this is the house that I built, and I say what goes. And he's not doing it in a stereotypical bad guy way, which is so refreshing. Um, so I'm 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 really excited. Or you know the way the way John Cena has been talking, it's clear to me that the Undertaker needs to come forward on SmackDown after the Royal Rumble, and say John Cena, maybe you forgot. 
You're not the man around here. I am. And that's the way that starts. And put The Undertaker and John Cena in the Elimination Chamber match with The Miz and AJ Styles, obviously. Throw in Dolph Ziggler and Dean Ambrose. I'm excited about that match. That's a match I'm excited for. Baron Corbin could be a Final Four person in the Rumble. You know? It's going to go one of two. Who knows? What's this? Braun Strowman could win this thing. You know, it's pretty clear that they're flirting with the idea of a Braun Strowman-Roman Reigns match. It's not the match that I would pick. It's a little bit intriguing. It's not the match that I would pick. Um, But Braun Strowman could win this thing and go on to face Roman Reigns for the Universal Championship. It's very, very possible. But I think... I think that Braun Strowman is obviously going to be made to look very, very impressive in the Royal Rumble this year. And I think Baron Corbin. They're going to use the Royal Rumble to really make Baron Corbin look like something special this year, and they should. I think the Royal this year's Royal Rumble is going to be a really strong showing for Baron Corbin, and I'm excited to see that. I think it's going to I think it's going to be fun. I'm also looking forward to. I think that they're going to. I would love to see them update the Kofi spot and make it some kind of fun New Day spot. I think the whole New Day will be involved in whatever crazy thing that Kofi does this year at the Rumble. I'm just really, really excited about it. I'm very optimistic about it, and uh, I think it's going to be fun. You know, we, I want to talk about the go-home shows too, the Raw and SmackDowns before... Uh, uh, and and <laughs> the fact that Seth Rollins is not in the Royal Rumble shows you how, how big it is um, in terms of like it doesn't take away star power. And, you know, it'll be cool to see Sami Zayn get in there. Uh, I'm also excited to see uh, Big Show in there. I think that's great. I want to talk about uh, uh, Raw and SmackDown. And this is why, to me, SmackDown feels like a fresher, younger, more action-packed show. And it's not just because it's two hours versus Raw three hours. It's the way the two hours are being used. On SmackDown, we don't revisit things over and over again. There's no filler on SmackDown. There's something happening every segment on SmackDown. You know what was amazing about this week on SmackDown? And they've done it before. Is that the show opens promoting the Intercontinental title match between Dean Ambrose and The Miz. And that's quick, by the way. That's not a big 20-minute in-ring thing. That's twenty. That's a quick thing to promote the fact that tonight it's, there's going to be a big Intercontinental title match. Then we go into a Wyatt's thing which I think is interesting. I don't want to see them split up, and I don't want to see Luke Harper go on his uh, good guy singles run yet, but it is what it is. Then we go into the Mickey James thing, and that starts to get uh, explained. And Mickey James, like, I love the story. Um, you know, I, I, I think she's uh, a little nutty in her delivery in terms of promos right now, but I don't necessarily think it doesn't work, to tell you the truth. You know, I think she's like mad and, and kind of crazy and she and she it, it kind of feels like she's acting a little bit, you know, like she's not like speaking like a person necessarily. But I don't know. There's something I watched it again on Talking Smack and there's something kind of cool about how nuts she is. Like it, it, it fits the character, I think. Um, but we didn't get to AJ Styles and John Cena until midway through the show. And then they did their segment, and then they left. It wasn't like they were getting shoved down our throat for the entire show so we could get reminded about blah, 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 blah. It was one segment and done. 
because there was too much to do. You know what I mean? We're, there's too much to do here on SmackDown. We're doing this. We're doing that. There's three different storylines involving women, which are amazing. And the fact that they're like interweaving storylines, I don't know why Raw doesn't do it. Like that Alexa Bliss has a rivalry going on with Naomi while Mickey James has a rivalry going on with Becky Lynch that is done through her connection to Alexa Bliss is like that it, it, that's to me like that's where it starts to get juicy that's where there's 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 some real substance to it and I love seeing it man I really enjoyed it and I think that there there needs to be a little bit more of that on on raw just more of that sort of there's something happening every segment. There's just something. Oh, this is happening. Now that's happening. Now this is happening. Now that's happening. I don't know how we're going to fit this all into three hours, but we're going to do it because over here is over here. And their roster is so much bigger than SmackDown's. I don't know why they can't make it feel like a bigger show. Oh, but over here, you know, uh, 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 Kevin Owens is mad about this, but here comes New Day and Sasha. Like, it just feels, Raw feels much more uh, regimented. Like, everybody is following the order and doing as they're told. Whereas on SmackDown, it's like, oh, my God, what's going to happen next? This is crazy. And that's what you want, right? This is crazy. Oh, my God, I can't believe this. Although, I do wonder if if Goldberg should be my Royal Rumble pick based on the fact that he got knocked loopy by his door on Raw. Poor Goldberg. You know, it was really cool having Undertaker, Goldberg, and Brock Lesnar together in that segment at the end of Raw, and it definitely shows you, like, wow, that's really happening at the Rumble, like, that all of them are going to be together, but you don't need to headbutt your door, it's, it's so weird, because Goldberg is not, like, he's not going out there for a match, and I get that his promos have to be intense, but since he's not going out there for a match, and you're, and you're stopping on your way to the ring to hug kids, I feel like, any intensity that headbutting a doorknob or a door, it's probably the doorknob, that's what happened. Any intensity that you would pick up by headbutting a doorknob as hard or, or a door as hard as you can, I feel like would start to get taken away when you start hugging the kids. You know what I mean? Like that's when it starts like you start to soften up a little bit and maybe maybe the, the energy that came from headbutting that door doesn't pan out as much as it could have i don't know maybe i'm crazy maybe i'm totally nuts but to me you know probably not something you needed to do maybe he's just used to it but but i don't think it's really something that uh was all that necessary so you're coming out to the ring bleeding man what are you doing what are you doing he really was knocked loopy i was worried about him for a second he did not know where he was I mean, good for him that he commits that much. It is kind of cool to see somebody commit as much as Goldberg does. That, you know, he's only back for for a couple of matches here and there. But he still wants to be so intense when he hits the ring that he's smashing his face into stuff before he gets there. For no reason. You know, he's not even televised doing it. He's just smashing his face into stuff just so... He can make sure that the people are going to get the Goldberg that they're used to that they're used to seeing that they want to get. And I'm like, okay, I can see, I can respect that, I guess. But I would hope that there's there's you know other ways to do that, I guess. I would hope, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm wrong. 
so yeah, you know, I think uh, 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 a lot of stuff is going on right now uh, as we head to the Rumble. Um, I thought that the the shows were good. Again, SmackDown was probably better, and I think that was just because of the pacing of the whole thing. Just the just the pacing. Um, I thought that the the Triple H entrance music was good. You know, I like that Seth Rollins is being taken out of the Royal Rumble match because it's almost a waste of time for him to be in it. If 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 we're obviously heading down a road that leads to a Triple H Seth Rollins match. Then why make us? Why insult our intelligence? Everybody watching the Royal Rumble knows Seth Rollins is not winning the Royal Rumble because he's not going to face the champion at WrestleMania. He's going to face Triple H, right? So the fact that that's not going on, um, and that and that he's going to be able to concentrate fully on Triple H, I think that's better because I I think all's well that ends well eventually. But in in the last several weeks leading to this thing. Seth Rollins hasn't been doing anything. Like, there hasn't been much on the radar for that guy. And the reason for that is that Triple H isn't on TV. So everything is just kind of holdover leading. They don't want to get him started, I'm assuming, doing anything major until the Triple H thing happens. So he's just kind of hinting at it and hinting at it and hinting at it. So it's it's not the worst. It's good on a couple reasons. Number one, we all know he's not going to win the Royal Rumble. So it's like, okay, like that can be over here. We've got our category over here where it's Seth Rollins versus Triple H at WrestleMania. No titles on the line. I get that. I'll stick that there. And then you've also got this opportunity where you can give another guy an oppor- a shot. Like you can give another guy. Like it's going gonna, it's gonna to do good for Sami Zayn to be, re- to be in this Royal Rumble match. You know what I mean? It's it's it, that it's going to be a good look for him, especially with this underdog thing that he's got going right now. Um, I think I think you know Sammy. They're they're, they're I, I don't mind what's going on with Sammy Zayn right now, and I think I think mainly because he's portraying it well. You know, Sammy Sammy's doing a good job of being the underdog that they want him to be. Uh, I don't think that it's a Daniel Bryan scenario. You know, I don't I don't like I don't think that. People are showing up to the Royal Rumble being like, what? I'm here because I thought Sami Zayn was going to win. This is ridiculous. But I do think that it'll, it'll, it certainly at least gives him something to his character that maybe wasn't there before. You know, I, I don't think since the draft, he hasn't had anything going on with his character other than, please let me get beat up by Braun Strowman again. So the fact that he's back. And he's got this new thing where he's not that likable by the guys in the back, but we all get that he's a sweetheart and he's trying to do the, whatever. You know what I mean? I just think it's working. I just think it's working. So uh, so I'm enjoying it. Now, news did break. I think uh, I think our, our, our pal Ryan Satin over at Pro Wrestling Sheet uh, broke the news that apparently somebody spilled the beans and said they were a model for the Ric Flair statue that this year – the WWE's Hall of Fame statue that they uh, uh, pull out for the uh, fan access every year at WrestleMania, they unveil a new statue every year. They did, they've done Bruno San Martino. They did Ultimate Warrior. I still think they should have Seth Rollins' head somewhere, but this year, brrr, spoiler alert! Apparently, reportedly, 
It's going to be Ric Flair. Woo! Ric Flair uh, being added to the collection of statues that WWE had. And I'm certainly great with it. If anybody deserves a statue, it's Ric Flair. But, you know, it's amazing. And I'm sure it's just because of all the controversy that Hulk Hogan is surrounded by right now. But, you know, the fact that there's no Hulk Hogan, there's no Bret Hart, there's no Shawn Michaels, there's no... You know, I get that Andre the Giant, watch that siren, they're right behind you if you're listening to this in the car, it's right behind you. I get that Andre the Giant and the Ultimate Warrior are pretty... And Bruno San Martino, like, they're all WWE guys, you know what I mean? Like, like Andre is associated with... With, with WWF, even though he wrestled elsewhere. And Bruno San Martino, of course, is a WWF guy and and nothing else. And Warrior too. But I don't know. There's just something about adding Ric Flair this early that I don't think it's a bad thing. But to me, it embraces more of, of wrestling, of the wrestling industry as a whole than just WWE, because let's be honest, most of the Hall of Fame portion of Ric Flair's career existed outside of the WWE. He had a great run in 92, 91, 92, left at the beginning of 93 in WWF, and then, you know, his final run, climaxing with Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 24, was incredible, incredible. I can't can't say enough good about it. But beyond that, you're talking about the Horsemen, you're talking about Ric Flair as NWA champion. All that stuff is what's really made him a Hall of Famer, 16-time world champion. All that stuff really exists outside of WWE. So to see that statue being put up now, this early in the game, it says a lot. It says a lot about how they view Ric Flair uh, in terms of his importance. I think that it's going to mean a lot to Rick. Uh, I think he's. I think we're definitely going to see the waterworks. I think the flare tears are going to be a flowing. Um, and I, and I just think it's interesting what it says about WWE in terms of them expanding their view of what their products are. You know, there was a time when they were fiercely only about promoting the stuff that happened under a WWE WWF roof, but I think that WWE is keen on making professional wrestling synonymous with WWE, meaning that they're going to own the tape libraries, they're going to own the intellectual properties, and now they're even going spot to spot and trying to scoop up as much young talent as they can to use them in various different ways. They're going into England and trying to take over the English, the British independent scene with stuff like the UK tournament. They're trying to take over a lot of American stuff with 205 Live. You know, They're trying to say, like, okay, Evolve is popular. Progress is popular. What Culture Pro is popular. All this stuff, you know, and I'm, I should be more versed on some of the UK stuff. Even Ring of Honor maybe is popular. What can we do to get some of that energy over here? And I'm sure that at some point they'll try to, to to buy any organization that's really successful. So it's just interesting to see. I, I feel like they're now taking that uh, way of thinking and moving it toward uh, uh, th- the legacy of the whole thing. So I it caught me off guard. You know, 
Uh, I would think I would think a Stone Cold statue would be put up first. Shawn Michaels, as I said, um, there's a lot of people. Bret the Hitman Hart. Uh, uh, you know, I think a, yeah, a Dusty Rhodes statue is up, and that's another thing. Like they they did a Dusty Rhodes statue, right? I want to say that they did a Dusty Rhodes statue. If I'm wrong, then just destroy me. Or an, even an Eddie Guerrero statue, I wouldn't be surprised to see at this point. Roddy Piper statue, since he passed away. Probably too early, but a Jimmy Snuka statue. I, I know that the controversy isn't bothering, it doesn't seem to be bothering WWE much. They're focusing on his wrestling career. So there's a lot of WWE-branded talent that would be deserving of a statue. And it's, to me, cool to see that Ric Flair is the guy getting it because it really does showcase how much he brought to the table in terms of of WWE and in terms of pro wrestling, even though that's not a word that gets thrown around WWE very often. And that's fine. It just is what it is. Oh, while I still have you here, let's talk about a little bit more about Raw. Because once again, man, and, and if I'm crazy, you can tweet me and tell me, but I think I'm right. Rusev is continuously MVPing those segments. I mean, I love funny Rusev. You know, I think he should still be able to crush people, but handsome Rusev is like one of my favorite things on TV. When he goes like, "Why do they call you Big E? Everybody knows you're big." It'd be like calling me handsome Rusev. That's ridiculous. Like he just thinks so highly of himself. I'm a, I'm convinced that somebody saw him on Total Divas and realized that he was funny and said, yeah, we can do that. We can use that. Yeah, we can make that a part of our thing. And that's the direction. And to the people who think that it's going to hurt him because he's not as menacing when he's being funny, like, let's be honest. Rusev hasn't been doing much in terms of being menacing. You know, he's got the big cast thing right now. But other than, like, and and, and is kind of getting beat by him. So I, I don't think Rusev is not the kind of guy who rode in on a tank to wrestle John Cena at the moment. At the moment, he's not in that spot. So what can we do to freshen up a character like Rusev? Oh, I know. Make him call himself Handsome Rusev. Tell the world what a looker he thinks he is. Tell the world that he thinks he's the Bulgarian George Clooney. But he just says it so deadpan. And like, I believe that that character thinks that. Like, I believe when he's talking that he truly feels that way. And so when people are like, what? That's crazy. You're not that handsome. He goes, what? No, 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 no. You must be crazy because I am unusually good looking. I love that. I, it just it just seems so earnest and funny that, you know, I don't know what else I can say about it. I do, uh, I do hope, I would love to see, I don't think it's going to happen. I would love to see Anderson and Gallows win the tag titles at the Royal Rumble. Uh, pay-per-view I think that that they kind of need it right now you know I think it would be a, a, a big step forward for them and and I'd love to see them be the kick-ass tag team that they could be I was so excited last week on Raw when they won the tag team titles for a hot second um, so I, I and and you know I was I wasn't I guess overly shocked when they were like, no, that's not going to stand because it was like, no way, no way. Something's got to give and something gave. But I would love to see them. They're, they're wrestling with the two referees, uh, which is a nice little – I think it's, it's a cool addition. Um, 
But I'd love to see I'd love to see that. I'd love to see Gallows and Anderson win those tag titles. I think it's I think it's I think it's deserved. I think it's about time. Um, so I'm excited. Oh, real quick, we didn't even really talk about NXT Takeover, uh, and I think that's interesting because it's almost like we're going backwards a little bit. There's not a ton of hype for this uh, for this NXT Takeover special, and maybe that's because of everything else that's been going on. Um, like I said at the beginning of State of Wrestling, I would not be surprised to see Pete Dunne make an appearance at Takeover. I think that might be a great spot for him, and I think it would add a lot to NXT right now. I think NXT could use that sort of young, awesome talent uh, in that in that group. Uh, I think the Shinsuke Nakamura versus Bobby Roode match is going to be great, but as I was looking over the card, you got the Shinsuke Nakamura-Bobby Roode, you got the tag title match, you've got the four-way women's match, but I really think that the Eric Young-Ty Dillinger match could steal the show. And, I don't know, it's an opportunity for Ty Dillinger to finally win one, to look really, really good, and then maybe show up at the Rumble. Who knows? Stranger things have happened. I could see it, but uh, it should be good. It's going to be a great weekend for wrestling. I can't wait to join you all back here uh, next week to talk about everything that happened as well as, I mean, can you believe uh, uh, by the time we meet again next week, the Royal Rumble will be over. We will have seen a TakeOver special plus another Raw, another SmackDown. So much amazing content. Make sure you're subscribed to this podcast and make sure you've left a review for it so you can be a part of it each and every single week. And don't forget to go to ProWrestlingTees.com slash Sam Roberts. Get yourself some shirts. You should get a few shirts because you want to be able to wear them to any wrestling show that you go to. Take a photo, put it out on Twitter. You'll get a retweet from me. I guarantee that for sure. Um, And just spread the word of Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. I really appreciate it, and I will see you all in seven days when Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast returns. Thanks for listening. Follow at NotSam on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. And subscribe for free to listen every week to Sam Roberts Wrestling Podcast. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring this podcast. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System, you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. At hundreds of locations across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unifydhealing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.